Welcome to the Athletics Prospects to Pros podcast. I'm Chris Burke, joined by Dame Brugler and our producer Kent Garrison. The uh, Chiefs are your Super Bowl champions, and we're officially into draft season. I We've been officially into draft season for a few months here, but everyone's officially into draft season now. And Dane, your thoughts on uh, the Chiefs and the 49ers and how everything wrapped up in the NFL this year? Yeah, well, I, after last year, uh, Pat Mahomes winning the MVP, uh, narrowly missing their uh, Super Bowl appearance the year before, I think coming into the year, most people... Maybe not most, but a lot of people thought Mahomes and the Chiefs could do it this year. And even though it looked rocky at times throughout the season, uh, they got it done. And uh, I mean, they played on consider considers the stretch they went on the playoffs, uh, just you know being down by double digits and just each game and coming back. And uh, you know, it was uh, it, it really good theater. And I feel good for Andy Reid. Um, you know, he was a Hall of Famer before uh, the Super Bowl. Definitely a Hall of Famer now, uh, but you know that's uh, kind of the the crown jewel on a you know a really good career, uh, and he's not done. He's he might have another ten years left to him coaching uh, at the NFL level. So maybe with Pat Mahomes as his quarterback, he's got a few more uh, coming. Not to uh, put you on the spot, I know we do this quite a bit here, but uh, <laughs> looking back on Mahomes and Garoppolo coming into the drafts, anything about how how they've progressed or how their careers have broken out early uh surprised you at all i know you, you like i mean i i think you were fairly high on garoppolo just thinking back i know that was a a while mm-hmm. ago but uh um you know just uh, where sort of how they've gone early on in their careers yeah i think that's it's a contrast of a quarterback i think i was right about i, I think i pegged him exactly how he's turned out and that's garoppolo and then a quarterback that might go down as the biggest miss I've ever had. Um, and you learn a lot from an evaluation like that because when you, I mean, Pat Mahomes had a losing record at Texas Tech. You watch his tape and he's basically playing backyard football out there. You know, he's making some of these crazy decisions that just tossing the ball around and it's fun, but it's hard to evaluate. And I think it really opened my eyes to how tough it is from the outside looking in because, you know, those of us on the outside, don't necessarily get a chance to sit down with a uh, Pat Mahomes and really dig into, uh, you know, his mentality and, you know, considering where he is mentally with his development and, you know, coming from an air raid offense and, you know, just how good is he at reading coverages and understanding where he is mentally in his development. That's something that is really tough. And, you know, that that's what makes it tough with maybe uh, Jalen Hurts or an Anthony Gordon or some of these other quarterbacks in this draft class uh, is just trying to figure out exactly where they are. And then what's their, what's their ceiling uh, in terms of their mental development, in terms of uh, just their, their football acumen and, and getting a better sense for that. That's where teams obviously have the advantage because they're going to put these guys on the whiteboard. They're going to roll through tape with these guys and get a better sense for where they are. And that's where Pat Mahomes is just a really tough, tough evaluation for, for all of us on the outside. And so it does make it tougher for us to evaluate quarterbacks in that in that sense, but um, you know it is it, it, it's not going to you know make us stop trying that's for sure. But I don't did you uh, did you have a, a firm opinion on these guys when they're coming out? That, that have you been surprised at all with how they've progressed? No, I haven't been. I mean, I, I think there's a little bit of surprise that Mahomes is this good. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that he's a guy that even in the Super Bowl headed to the fourth quarter, they're down ten, and you just sort of are waiting for him to take over and win a championship. Right. Like I don't think, 
anyone thought he was, I mean, maybe there were people who thought he was going to be that, but I, I don't know that anyone really realistically expected it to happen that early. Uh, and I guess just a couple things real quick. I wanted, <laughs> I said I was putting you on the spot. I, I didn't, I wasn't trying to make you call out a huge miss on Mahomes. And then no, <laughs> that's no, really no. I, my second point I, I, is I don't think it was it. Like it wasn't a huge, like you weren't, you didn't have him undrafted. Right, I think you had right, him. Right. I had him as what, a late one, early, early right, two, late one, early like two, like right? Exactly. That's where yeah. I felt like okay, okay, worth the <laughs> risk. And and no, it, trust me, I'm I am totally open about you know the hits and the misses because that's you know that's I think that's part of this whole process. Uh, and with with Mahomes, I mean, it's it's not like he's doing right now. What he's doing is what he did in college. I mean, in college, he'd make some crazy decisions, just throw up these prayers. And, you know, his guys would come down with it sometimes. Other times it's interception. Other times it's an incompletion. I mean, it was just, you know, it, it was backyard football. And he's streamlined his decision-making quite a bit at the NFL level. And so that's been really impressive to see and something that is not normal. Uh, you know, it, and so, I mean, all credit to Mahomes for his development since he got into the league. And I think part of that is obviously Andy Reid and, uh, you know, who knows how Pat Mahomes would end up if he went number one overall to the Browns. You know, it's just that we don't talk enough about the coaching and, you know, right. uh, the placement of these guys, where they end up and how that affects their trajectory of developing as a quarterback in the NFL. So, you know, it is it, it is something that an alternate universe would love to find out how we, you know, what Pat Mahomes looks at three years into his career um, if he goes to, you know, Cleveland or Cincinnati or, you know, another team that not known for, uh, you know, their offensive identity. Um, but it is nonetheless, you know, credit to Mahomes and his development, and what he's done. Yeah, and that, and that year probably did uh, – you mentioned it forced you to maybe reevaluate some things. I think it probably forced a lot of NFL teams to do the same because that was the – Mahomes, you know, it was Watson, uh, Trubisky mm-hmm. obviously was at the top of that class. You know, Nathan Peterman was a guy that a lot of people were pretty high on coming out that year. And, um, you know, maybe that's him. Maybe that's where he landed. We saw that sort of unfolded early on. That was Deshaun Kaiser was in that class, I think, right, yep. too. So yeah. Um. Yeah, it was a. It was definitely a tough class to get a read on. Obviously, the Bears went pretty all in on Mitchell Trubisky. That hasn't worked out the way they hoped it would. Um, and still early for a lot. I mean, it, we're only we're not that far removed from that draft class. So, uh, still time for a lot of things to kind of unfold with everyone. But obviously, Patrick Mahomes has uh, sort of transcended everything else that's happened there. And Deshaun, I mean, obviously Deshaun Watson's been a great NFL quarterback early in his career too, but Mahomes mm-hmm. has kind of kicked it to a new level and um, just really incredible to see how he's elevated that team. And like you said, the Chiefs now, I mean, we're it, as an outside observer, it's kind of fun to think about what these Kansas City-Baltimore matchups are going to be like over the next few years and what other teams maybe can – hang around and can you know contend whether the Patriots are still going to be there the Steelers can bounce back you know who's going to be there with those two teams up at the top because you just assume you know maybe we're set up for Lamar Jackson Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson potentially you know maybe those are the two three guys for the next five ten years in the AFC and that's sort of the era we're in but uh, it should be a lot of fun to watch it's fascinating that those three quarterbacks you just mentioned, they were drafted, what, 10th overall, 12th overall, and then 32nd overall in the draft. So it's just, you know, a lot of teams get these quarterbacks wrong. And 
but if you're willing to take the chance and you hit, I mean, you can hit big. And it's just it's just really interesting to see where these quarterbacks were drafted and uh, you know the investments that some of these teams made and how it, how it's worked out. And so you know, fast forwarding to this class, it's going to be really interesting when you have a Jordan Love who you know if he has if you flip his sophomore year and his junior year so as a junior he's you know throwing a lot of picks you know you're not sure what to think of him but then as a junior he's over 30 touchdowns single digit interceptions and so you flip those years all of a sudden Jordan Love we're talking about him as a top 5 pick and so it's just it's really fascinating with a case like that. You throw in, you know, Justin Herbert, you throw in Tua with the medicals, even Eason and Fromm. I mean, this, this quarterback class is uh, so uh, just diverse with the different types of talent, but then also just all the opinions that are going to be out there about where they should be drafted, their NFL potential, their ceilings as NFL quarterbacks. And so it's, it's going to make for, you know, the quarterback conversation always uh drives the, the, the combo uh and the debates during this part of the year and i don't think that's going to be any different when we talk about the quarterbacks in this class yeah and that uh spins us in pretty seamlessly to your latest mock draft mock draft 3.0 which is up at the athletic.com uh, i'll mention as always if you haven't picked up a subscription yet you can head over to the athletic.com slash prospects to pros and get 40 percent off so uh, just two ninety nine a month, and that gets you access to everything on the Athletics Network, as well as uh, in early April, Dane's incredible draft guide, which I know you—if you've been paying attention—have heard us, heard me talk about a bunch. Uh, I've seen people praise on Twitter. It's always a great resource, and I, you know, I'm able. I don't. When was the first year you did that? Two thousand thirteen was. I was worried I was stretching it a little bit, but you that you were rolling before that. First one I ever did was my freshman year dorm room at Mount Union. There you go. Uh, Charlie Fry and Aaron Rodgers and Alex Smith and that quarterback class. Uh, but no, I mean, the first time I really started, because um, I started doing it just because I wanted to be a scout in the NFL and said, this is my resume. I'm going to, you know, hand it out. And thankfully, I, you know, when I started doing it, it, uh, because we had a lot of scouts coming through Mount Union because that's Pierre Garcon was a senior. We were seniors together. And so that's how I was able to kind of start my network of, uh, you know, knowing people in the league and, and learning scouting and all that. And uh, I really opened it up to the public. Um, gosh, I don't even know, maybe 2012, 2011, something like that. But yeah, it's been, it's been awesome. Uh, to all the, all the feedback. And as long as the feedback keeps going what it is, I'm going to keep doing it because people seem to love it. And I, I promise it is the most in-depth draft guide that there is out there. I, I have uh, no problem uh, saying that. I'm very confident about it. Are there copies of that? Uh, was that 2005? Are there copies of that 2005 draft guide floating around somewhere? It's funny because now that I'm back in Ohio and I'm, you know, getting stuff out of my parents' house and all that, you know, it's boxes in the basement and rummaging through some of my old notebooks and all that. It's just, it's crazy to read some of the stuff. And, um, you know, it's, it's crazy. We had three running backs taken in the top five that year. I don't think we're going to see that anytime soon, but, uh, yeah, no, <laughs> mock draft, uh, 3.0. It's yeah. like for this mock, I, you know, there's a lot of mock drafts out there. And for this one, I really wanted to make people think and really wanted to kind of shake things up. And I thought the best way to do that was to introduce trades because, you know, like it or not, we're going to have trades on draft day. We've had at least five every single year, uh, the last four or five years. 
Uh, and that's just a, a draft day trades. I'm including the trades we have leading up to it. Uh, and so that it's going to be part of the action. And, you know, it's, it's hard enough to, dr- to predict these players, but it's even more tough to predict what trades are going to happen. But I tried to come up with five realistic trades that uh, make sense for both sides. Um, I used the trade chart. I used past examples of trades to figure out the compensation, what made sense. Um, and, you know, the feedback has been uh, pretty great so far. I think a lot of teams that, you know, were involved in the trades, uh, a lot of the fans liked what they did. Um, not everyone. Some have some problems with it. And I get that. I mean, that's I'm not saying this is what the teams should do or would do. It's just I think it's a scenario. And that, that's what this the mock draft should be for, you know, especially pre-combine. It's all about laying out scenarios and what teams could do. And so I thought this mock was an interesting way to lay out some of the possibilities of what the teams that that they're going to be talking about, what they're going to consider and what they ultimately could do. Like usual, I don't want to give away all 32 picks because I want people to go read all the analysis. Uh, I know these things, uh, I, I don't have to do the full 32 or 64, you know, two round, three round mock drafts. Like I uh, did back in the day, but I know how much time they take to go through just uh, figuring out not just where players match up, but you know what team needs are and who makes sense. Where, especially when you start working in these trades, so I want to make sure people get over to the site and read the analysis you've got up there. But I did want to hit on the trades because I think, as you said, that's kind of the highlights of Mock Draft 3.0 here, and uh, they start right at number three after. I mean, this is sort of, I think, how we've set up that this draft might play out. I think it's almost how everyone expects it to play out at this point. Just Burrow, one to the Bengals, Chase Young, two to Washington, and then the Lions looking to get really maybe what they can out of that number three spot and get out of there and add some picks and trade back. And so you've got them going back a couple spots and then adding uh, several selections from the Dolphins over the next couple of years. Yeah, and I think if you uh, you know think back to two years ago when the Jets traded up from six to three to get Sam Darnold, and they didn't know who was going to be there at three, but they knew they needed a quarterback, and they were going to be fine with who was ever available for them at three. They gave up three second-round picks to do that, and so I think that's kind of the basis that you look at. Now, I don't know that even though the Lions – or the Dolphins are going to be trading up if they do for a quarterback. I'm not sure they're going to have to give up three second round picks just because I'm not sure what the competition is going to be. You know, if you're the Lions, you're going to drive up the price as much as you can. But if there's only, uh, you know, if the Chargers are maybe lukewarm about a possible trade up, you know, Panthers, I don't, maybe. So I don't know that the asking price is going to be maybe as much. And so for this scenario, have the Dolphins moving back two spots, or excuse me, the Dolphins moving up two spots, Lions moving back two spots, and the Lions are getting from the Dolphins two twos, uh, which is number 39 overall this year, a second rounder next year, then a fourth rounder next year as well. So, I mean, if you're the Lions, I, I think that if that's the best deal you get, I mean, you take it. Uh, I, I, the only thing that I think might change uh, is if um, you know if Chase Young somehow falls to three, then I think you're staying put. But we don't expect that to happen. It didn't happen in this scenario. So the Dolphins move up to three. They secure their quarterback. And I've heard from fans saying, well, 
you know, the Giants aren't taking a quarterback at four. So why are the Dolphins making that move? And it's really, it's just a preemptive move. You know, it's a chance to go and trade up for your quarterback. So, you know, you're not leaving any doubt out there about maybe the Chargers going up to get him or another team leapfrogging you to go get uh, Tua in the quarterback. If you're serious about taking a quarterback top five, then you're serious about going up to get a, getting him. And I, you look at the past uh, 10 quarterbacks that have been drafted in the top 10, seven have been acquired via a trade-up. Uh, and of the three that weren't, two were the number one overall pick. So they, those teams didn't have to move up to get the quarterback. So I, I think that there is a good bet that Miami could move up two spots, secure their quarterback, and I think they'd be just fine with that. Yeah, I think you're right about the Lions point of this too. And obviously, you know, if you're Detroit and you're trading with Miami, you're trying to get one of those other first round picks Miami's got mm-hmm. three of them I mean even if it's the what's the lowest one 26 I mean if you get five and 26 that's a pretty good haul to go back two spots but I, I think you're right I think at some point it becomes uh, maybe they really really fall in love with Jeffrey Okuda or Isaiah Simmons or you know whoever it is Derek Brown at that spot but I think at some point they they are taking as much as they can get and getting out of there and yeah for Miami you're a little worried that I mean, if it's maybe it's the Chargers at six, the Panthers at seven, like to get like six and 37 from the Chargers, that's a pretty decent return. Even just if that's your baseline return for Detroit, like that's not terrible. If that's all you end up with to go back, you get an extra top 40 pick, you slide back three spots, and you probably still get one of those guys. Um, you know, that that's not what the Lions want ideally, but I think that that. Uh, is a decent starting spot and same with Carolina I mean you're talking seven and 38 and maybe you tack on another pick somewhere next year or later down the road uh, in this draft so I think that there would be that worry for Miami that someone else is going to come up and get that and uh, yeah I mean obviously this all sort of hinges again on on Tua and just his health and I mean it does sound like things are going the right direction but let's just like hypothetically let's just say something there's a setback or this isn't happening as quickly as everyone thought and there are real concerns about him I mean is there the same sort of conversation happening if Justin Herbert's going to be the second guy off the board like if Miami's sitting there at five and they're saying we can't do this we can't trust Tua at three we can't just make this sort of investment on this guy right now could you see Justin Herbert or I guess Jordan Love or someone else driving moving the needle in the same way or is this is everything at number three sort of hinging on Tua maybe not in the same way um just because I'm not sure that Miami or the Chargers or any of these teams are super desperate for a quarterback I mean there's no doubt that that's priority number one they want their franchise guy but I don't think they're either either of those teams are in position where they say okay it's it's quarterback or bust you know how the Jets were uh, two years ago when they blindly moved up for whichever quarterback was going to be there at number three overall, whether that was going to be, uh, you know, Baker or Josh Allen or, or Sam Darnold, who it ended up being. So this year, I don't think it's quite like that because if the Dolphins, if, and, and that's why the, the Lions, if you're the Lions, you're hoping for Tua's medicals to come back clean almost as much as Miami is just because you want that trade action and you don't care where it comes from. Um, I, you know, I, I think that uh, if you're Miami, it just could they fall in love with Herbert? Sure. I mean, I think that's certainly possible. Um, a question I wanted to ask you: Do you think there's any possibility if you know the Lions are worried about Stafford's back? If there's 
you know, any concern about that, if there's any thought of considering Tua with that number three pick? <laughs> I have a hard time getting there. I mean, I think that you have to consider it just to sort of do your due diligence on everything. But I, I have a hard time, especially just be, just because of the situation they're in. I mean, this is such a make or break year. You do have Stafford. I mean, you do have to worry about where he's at with his age and with the inj- the sort of uh, growing injury history. But with as well as he played when he was healthy last year, knowing what this season means to this organization and the front office, like I think that they have to go elsewhere. And with the type of defensive talent, especially that they could take a swing at there, whether, you know, any of those guys, Okuda, Simmons, right. Brown, um, Kinlaw. I mean, you just name one of those guys and you put one in there and he helps – in, in different ways, but certainly uh, those are all guys that they could use. So I, I think that uh, they've got to go elsewhere other than quarterback, and especially the way it lays out for them to get, you know, you like you said, you've got them getting not just number five back, but they get number 39. They get a, a second rounder and a fourth rounder in 2021, and they still get Jeffrey Okuda in this mock. I mean, that's uh, – how can you say no to that? <laughs> I mean, that's your – Starting cornerback right. opposite Darius Slay, you're getting another shot in the top 40. And that I think that that's maybe their way to a quarterback, too. You, maybe you trade back into the first, and if Jordan Love's still sitting there or you know you like one of these other quarterbacks, maybe you go back and get him. But I, I'd be stunned if they took Tua at number three. Yeah, well, and that's I, I think it's something that will come up, you know, throughout the process. Uh, but I mean, I'd, I mean, I would agree with you. It, it would be a surprise. Uh, but I, I think that the Lions, if they make, if they're able to make this trade with Miami, whatever they get is going to be just gravy because they have to feel great about who's going to be there at five. And even if they fall in love with Okuda, I think that they're going to love Isaiah Simmons and Derek Brown. And one of those three guys is going to be there at five for them. And so, you know, if, if that's the trip, they're able to make that trade, uh, regardless of the compensation, I think they have to do it because they're going to get a really good defensive player at number five and pick up extra draft capital for doing it. And I think these offensive tackles are going to be on their board too, as I mentioned before. Yeah. So uh, good it, point. I mean, I wouldn't entirely rule them out of a, of trading back twice, even frankly, mm-hmm. <laughs> if they get to five and then Carolina says, well, we want to get in front of the chargers at, I, I yeah. mean, why not? We have to roll the dice again. But, uh, and I bring that spot up because that's your, your next trade. I mentioned I wanted to get to those. You've got Herbert going off the board six to the Chargers. And then seven, uh, you've got the Panthers trading back a few spots. Uh, with the Jets, this is an interesting one. New York coming up from 11 to seven and getting, which would be the second offensive tackle off your board, uh, Makai Becton from Louisville, who uh, we've seen kind of, uh, skyrocket here over the last few months, uh, just in terms of how we're talking about his place in this offensive tackle class. And I think this is the trade of the five trades that are projected in this mock. This is the one that got the most pushback, um, not from Carolina fans. I think they're good with the trade back. It's the Jets moving up and surrendering uh, two third round picks. So they'd give up their first rounder, obviously, number 11, and then 68 and 79 overall to uh, move up to number seven. So moving up four spots. So that's their third round pick plus the third round pick they got uh, in the Leonard Williams uh, trade from the Giants, which is bizarre that the Giants made that trade. Um, but for the Jets, you know, they there's no question they need bodies on that roster. Um, so giving up two third round picks is, is a pretty, you know, uh, it is an expensive deal to make. 
But in this scenario, it's all about going up and getting your tackle. Uh, and yes, if they waited at 11, well, one of those, you know, four tackles that we've been talking about as being top 15 guys, will one of them be there? Probably. I think most likely there's a good chance uh, between, you know, Wills and Becton and Wirfs and Andrew Thomas. There is a good chance that one of those tackles will be there at 11. But that's just assuming that you're okay with any of them. The Jets might not like two of them. It might love two. It might love two of them as well. And so this is a chance for the Jets to go up and get their top tackle if he's still available at number seven. And in this scenario, it's Becton. But really, you could put it in any name you want there. This is more an example for the Jets who maybe they don't love those four tackles. Maybe they love Wills and Becton. Okay, well, Wills is off the board. Uh, he went to the Giants at number four. And the chances, do they just cross their fingers and hope Mikai Becton falls to them at number 11? Or, you know, if they don't really love Wirfs, they think that Wirfs is a guard, and but they really want their left tackle here. And they say they just don't like Andrew Thomas at all. This is where that scenario comes in, where you package two third-round picks, which... Let's be honest, two third round picks last year, uh, you know, that's just chai polite for the Jets. And so, you know, obviously, you know, you're expecting better return on investment than just chai polite in the third round. But it's still it's a chance to go up, get your top tackle and feel good about protecting your quarterback for the long term. So while I understand some of the pushback from Jets fans, I think it also makes plenty of sense uh, in the context of how the Jets might view this tackle class. And we've talked about this before uh, in past episodes, but there is a sort of a the lines are blurring more probably than ever before between left tackle and right tackle, just in terms of you know sort of where mm-hmm. you have to focus your energy on on what's coming at you from the defensive side because we're seeing pass rushers uh, on both ends of the ball uh, really being effective at getting at the quarterback and guys that can flip sides pretty easily and. Uh, that's why we're also seeing the increase in uh, importance for guys who can play in the, the middle and play guard because there's so many good pass rushing tackles now. But there is still a, a premium placed on that left tackle position. You mentioned maybe a team sees Wirfs as a guard. I mean, how many of these guys of Wills, Becton, uh, Wirfs, and Andrew Thomas, I mean, are, are we talking four potential franchise left tackles or do you do you have it sort of split up as, all right, well, Wills and Becton, I think, can be left tackles, and Thomas maybe is a right tackle, and Wirfs, not sure of yet. I mean, how do you have it all sort of separated out with those guys? Personally, I, I think Wills is the top guy, but a lot of scouts love Becton around the league, and just because you don't see guys 6'7", 360 pounds that can move like that and have that type of upside. So I think Becton's going to go in the top 10. I, I do not think he's going to fall out of that top 10. I think Wirfs is a top 10 pick in this draft. Now, some teams view him as a guard because he doesn't have great length, but he he graded very highly as a tackle, both left tackle and right tackle uh, on tape. And so I'm leaving him at tackle. Um, I don't see any reason why he can't be. I think he'd be a, a, a Pro Bowl guard, but I don't see any reason why he can't be just as effective outside a tackle. And then I think there is a little bit of gap between you get to the fourth tackle, and that's Andrew Thomas. Um and, you know, I, I think that even, there might even, there's not a consensus there. I mean, some teams might have Josh Jones ahead of uh, and Andrew Thomas. So, you know, it's something where even though we talk about these tackles as, you know, the top four and this and that, 
I don't, teams aren't going to view it as that. Teams are going to have their clear cut top guy. They might have, you know, three guys in their top tier. And so, you know, this tackle class is really, really interesting with the different types of talent we have. And then just the different opinions about who should be the first off the board and how many will go top 10. And I think we'll see maybe a little bit of trade action for teams jockeying for position to get their preferred tackle. That, uh, Guard conversation is always an interesting one with uh, depending on what the arm measurements come back at and the height right. measurements and everything. It was was it uh, I'm trying to think Isaiah Wynn, I think maybe is the guy I'm thinking of that was it you know played tackle and then dipped right. The Patriots got him at what 23 and every a lot of people were saying well he's got to play guard and now he's looks like he's going to be part of their future at tackle for a while. So uh, it's uh, it's always interesting to see how those conversations unfold too. Sure. No. And, and, you know, sometimes it just it makes sense, you know, like a Zach Martin, who is a four year starter at left tackle uh, at Notre Dame. You know, it just right. always made more sense for him to now. Could he play tackle in the league? We'll never know. But I think he probably could. But we're talking about an all pro guard. And so that's a team might view uh, a Tristan worse like that. Like, could he play tackle? Probably. But if we move him inside, we feel even better about what he's going to be for the long term. So, uh, I mean, yeah, and he'd be a, a great fit, especially in a, you know, in a, in a, a zone scheme. I mean, he'd be terrific inside. Uh, but I'm keeping him outside until he shows me that he can't do it. Yeah. And obviously, like I said, not just because of pass rushing, but Zach Martin, you get a Zach Martin, there's a top 20 value in having a guy like that for sure. Um, right. Know, someone who can be that level of player. Uh, your next trade, number three out of the five, is right at the next pick, number eight. Uh, you have the Raiders coming up from 12, uh, giving the Cardinals their first round pick at 12, and then number 80 and a fifth rounder. And uh, you have the Las Vegas. I got to get used to saying the Las Vegas Raiders. Yeah. You have Las Vegas coming up to get uh, Isaiah Simmons, who I, I mean, maybe outside of Tua, I guess, and the Tua conversation might be the most fascinating guy in this draft for me just because of uh, the type of prospect he sets up as. And, and uh, so this is another interesting trade up. And uh, probably, I mean, it feels like, decent value on Isaiah Simmons, frankly, at number eight, just in terms of the type of talent he brings to this class. Yeah. And I love this uh, trade for the Raiders. I think this makes all the sense in the world. Uh, You know, and the Cardinals sitting there at eight might be pretty tempted to just stay put and take Simmons. But for the Raiders, uh, I mean, on so many levels, you watched their defense last year. Isaiah Simmons is exactly the type of playmaker that they are missing. And you could say that about a few defenses, maybe even the Lions or, um, you know, Carolina could use a player like that. So Simmons might not last to the eighth pick, but if he's there, the Raiders moving up for him makes a lot of sense. I, you know, we know we've talked about, uh, you know, the Raiders and Mike Mayock's affinity with Clemson players. Uh, you know, that's a factor in this too. But more so, it's just it, Simmons is a four-down player. Uh, he's going to help this defense in a big way and kind of be the centerpiece of what they do. Linebacker safety, blitzing, covering, whatever. I mean, he can do it all. And so if you're the Cardinals, uh, you know, it, it might scare them a little bit taking another, uh, you know, conversion guy. You know, Hassan Reddick was a first-rounder for them a couple of years ago. He hasn't worked out. You know, maybe that stays in the Cardinals, you know, the back of their mind. That's why they're going to move back here, um, what, four spots and pick up a third rounder and a fifth rounder. And so I think this trade uh, works out for everybody. Yeah, I just Simmons is I, – I someone tweeted at me the other day because I mentioned that Okuda, I think, is just such a 
perfect fit for what Matt Patricia wants to do defensively, mm-hmm. that it makes a ton of sense that he keeps getting mocked to the Lions. But someone wrote back and said, uh, you know, is he a better fit than Isaiah Simmons? And I, I said he's a more Okuda's a more natural fit because I just it's just obvious what he is in that defense. But I don't know that he's a better fit. I don't know because Isaiah Simmons is just. I don't. It's hard to find things where you say, "Oh, that's a huge glaring negative on him." I mean, he just does so many things well, right. and he fits in so many different spots on defense. He's interchangeable at safety and linebacker. I mean, he he really is uh, an incredible prospect to study. And I think he, like I said, I think to get him at eight feels almost like a value because I do think, like, if Detroit stays put at three. I, that's a guy that I think that they certainly will consider taking at three. And yeah. even if they trade back to five, and I think those teams that are ahead of that eight spot will be looking very closely at Isaiah Simmons because he does do so many things. And especially, uh, you know, given what we see NFL offenses doing with all their different motions and uh, how they use their different position groups now, like you need that guy that can match up with anyone. And uh, he, he's, Man, he's so much fun. He, <laughs> this the th- like defensive coordinators have to watch him, and I'm sure they have a moment of like, well, I don't know what to do with this guy, and then just f- freak out over the possibilities of everything they can do with him. Yeah, exactly. No, and I think you hit the nail on the head because the NFL, it's all about personnel. Uh, that that's what that that's what it's all about. And a guy like Isaiah Simmons. You know, as an offense, you know what kind of package the defense is in based on the personnel, whether it's nickel or dime or base, whatever it is. If you're throwing Isaiah Simmons out there who can do so many different things for you as an offense, you don't necessarily always know what they're what they're going to do. And Simmons is a guy you can drop down in the box. You can put him over the slot receiver. I, mean, I don't think we need to sell him any more than we have because he is he is so unique, so talented. And I agree. If he's there at eight, it'd be a great value uh, for the Raiders uh, or whoever ends up taking him. And, uh, but I, I really do like this trade. And I, so far from the Raiders fans, I've heard a lot of good things about how much they, 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 they hate giving up that third round pick, but when they find out they get Simmons, they're on board. So we get to our fourth trade and we get to another quarterback, uh, Jordan Love here at number 17. You got the Saints coming up, uh, seven spots and getting him from Dallas. Dallas going back to 24, also getting the 88th overall pick, which is a third rounder. And then 2021 third, a 2021 fourth. Uh, like I said, Love going to the Saints. And as you mentioned, that's, uh, I mean, that's a spot that you think has to almost look quarterback this year because as, as you wrote, Drew Brees, he, I mean, he, maybe he retires this year. It sounds like he's on the fence, and but at most you're thinking a year or two uh, there. Teddy Bridgewater might get a shot at a starting job elsewhere. So uh, the Saints at some point probably need to get a quarterback. And, you know, here they go up for a guy that we've talked a ton about and um, maybe a little bit of a divisive prospect at the quarterback spot. But I think especially if you've got Drew Brees coming back for a year, uh, he'd be a guy that you'd want to have on that roster. Yeah, no question. And we'll have to see what happens with Teddy Bridgewater and, you know, how, for all we know, I mean, Teddy might feel such a connection with Sean Payton and he knows, you know, his best interest might be to, uh, you know, stay connected with uh, Payton and stay in New Orleans. I mean, who knows? And Taysom Hill has to be, you know, included in the conversation because the Saints love him. And would they be tempted to give him a shot at the full-time job? You know, you just never know. But we also know about the Saints. They're a very aggressive team in the draft. And 
if Sean, I think Sean Payton's really going to love the talent that Jordan Love offers. We know how much the Saints, they were ready to draft Pat Mahomes 11 overall uh, a couple years ago, if not for the Chiefs trading up to 10 to get him. So Jordan Love has that Mahomes-like skill set with just the arm, with the movement skills, uh, just the loose passing ability. And so I think that it's not a stretch to say that the Saints are going to like Jordan Love. Uh, now, will they love him enough to make this type of move to go up and get him? You know, we'll have to see. Uh, you know, we don't know that right now, but I think it's at least a possibility. And the Saints, because they're so aggressive, uh, they don't have a second round pick to give, but they have, in this scenario, they're giving up two thirds, uh, a third this year, a third next year, and then a fourth next year. And if you're the Cowboys, I think it makes sense from their perspective as well, because you have a lot of contracts coming up. You need to pay a lot of guys and it makes sense to while you're paying, you know, Amari Cooper and Dak and, you know, Byron Jones and all these other guys they need to invest money in. They need to fill their roster with some younger guys, some cheaper guys. And so by picking up, uh, by moving back, uh, what, seven spots and picking up three uh, picks in the top four rounds, two in the top 100. uh, I mean, that's a way to achieve that where you're getting young talent that can help your roster and is not going to cost you a ton. So I think it makes sense from both sides. Uh, For the Saints, it's a little more aggressive, but that's what they like to do. And, you know, we'll have to see if that's what they uh, would buy into. Let me ask you a quick follow-up here because I know, you know, Dallas was uh, your neck of the woods there for a while. Mm -hmm. Got a a decent finger on the pulse there. Um, I mean, is that a team that you could see going the other direction? Especially because, and it sort of struck me just because you had a run of uh, receivers right before that spot came up. Um, like, are they a team that might see themselves as a piece or two away and go up and get uh, Jerry Judy or someone like that to to pair with Cooper and try and put themselves over the top? I'd be pretty surprised. Um, I, I do think that obviously they think they're a win now team, um, but I would be pretty surprised if, if they packaged picks to go up, um, unless they just really fell in love with a player, but. I think it's like kind of like how I laid out before how they need players, they need bodies that are manageable, that are under contract. I think that's why it's it's going to be a much more likely scenario that they move back than they move up, uh, especially when you consider the depth of wide receiver in this class. If that's the direction they want to end up going, um, so I would be I would be pretty surprised based off of you know who I talked to in Dallas, and then just based off of. Uh, I think, you know, when you look at their track record and what they like doing, um, one other thing, sorry, I want to go back real quick. Uh, we talked about the Panthers trading back and the Cardinals trading back. I want to touch on real quick who they ended up with at 11 and 12, uh, Carolina moving back from the seventh pick to 11 in this scenario, in this mock, they get Javon Kinlaw. So I think that's a player that now they'd be passing on Derek Brown because Derek Brown ends up going in the top 10, but they could have had Derek Brown at number seven. So they're passing on Derek Brown, but I think they'd be just fine with Kinlaw there at number 11. And then the Cardinals moving from eight to 12, they give up on uh, Isaiah Simmons, on Tristan Wirfs. But at number 12, they get C.D. Lamb. And part of this is a selfish pick because I just think it'd be a lot of fun to reunite Kyler Murray and C.D. Lamb uh, in Arizona with uh, Cliff Kingsbury calling the plays. That just, it sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, so, you know, sign me up for that. But 
I think, you know, something you couldn't rule out as well, because even though this is a wide receiver rich class uh, and, you know, teams can wait to draft their board receiver, no receivers are off the board in the first 11 picks in this in this mock. And so the Cardinals are sitting there at 12. And at some point you say, OK, a guy like C.D. Lamb is just too good at, at some point to pass up. And for the Cardinals, that could be at that 12th pick. Yeah, this would be a sort of a good test case, too, for how much Cliff Kingsbury's presence maybe is driving the draft decisions there and just how much they're trying to build that offense to be like what Kyler Murray had played in before and what Cliff Kingsbury has run before, you know, how much they want it to look like that. So, that yeah, I mean, that's – you said selfishly uh, you like the Kyler Murray lamb setup. I would imagine Cliff Kingsbury selfishly will be (laughs) – would be pushing for one of those – well, wide receivers yeah. too, because yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. And then you mentioned the depth of the wide receiver class too, and uh, that's your fifth trade. You've got the Eagles coming up uh, to eighteen from twenty-one. The Dolphins trading back and continuing to stockpile some picks. They get a fourth in twenty twenty and a twenty twenty-one fifth uh, in this hypothetical you've got out there. Um, and the Eagles coming up for Brandon Ayuk, the uh, Arizona State wide receiver, who um, you know I'm a huge fan of. We've talked about on the show too, just to the sort of things he brings to the table offensively. But uh, why do you think that one makes sense for Philadelphia? Well, I think it's almost identical to what they did last year uh, when they traded up a couple spots to go get Andre Dillard. I, I mean, at a certain point, you know, you feel like, okay, this is worth it. And for them last year, it was with Andre Dillard. But this year, I think it's going to be with speed and offense or defense. Um, I could see him staying uh, at that 21st pick and taking if, you know, seeing if Ayuk falls and if he doesn't, then maybe going with a, a speedy corner or, you know, one of these other receivers. But after you get past those first three uh, receivers with CD Lamb and Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs, all three are off the board. A lot of teams think that Brain Ayuk has a shot at the top 20. And if you're the Eagles sitting there at 21 and you really like the speed that Ayuk brings to the team, uh, the different dimensions he can add uh, to uh, the offense and the play calling, what Carson Wentz will do, you're looking at the Raiders at number 19. You're looking at Jaguars at number 20. The two possible landing spots for Ayuk uh, and the Raiders, they already traded up for Simmons. So if you know there's a good bet they could go offense defense in the first round with their two first round picks. They got their playmaker on defense, maybe at number 19. They're going to get their playmaker on offense. So this would be a preemptive move to get in front of uh, some of those teams and make sure they get their speed at receiver. And with Brandon Ayuk, I mean, he's just kind of hitting his stride. I mean, this is a guy who was a corner uh, first most of his life. I mean, he was always well, a running back growing up. Then he played mostly corner in high school. And then Juco is when he really moved over the offense. Last year, uh, or as a junior, he was kind of in the shadows of Nikhil Harry. This year as a senior, he blew up as the go-to target. And he's still growing, still getting better. And so a player with that speed, a player with that length and that size and that explosive ability – those guys go early. And so I think there is a there is a chance that Ayuk could go in the top 20. And in this scenario, it ends up being the Eagles who don't want to be too passive and just kind of, you know, what's, uh, you know, hope's not a strategy. You know, that's something that they've preached often. Okay, well, they didn't let just kind of cross their fingers and let Andre Dillard fall to them last year. Maybe they do it again this year. It's not, they're not giving up a ton to move up uh, three spots to make sure they get the explosive receiver that they could use on offense. So we saw at the Senior Bowl, you know, Michael Pittman, Denzel Mims, uh, Colin Johnson, K.J. Hill. I mean, it was a really good week for a lot of receivers down there. We talked a bunch about the depth. I mean, you still think there are some receivers in this class that a team 
especially even early, even in this first round, you know, whether it is Ayuk like you have here or Judy or CeeDee Lamb, I mean, you still think there are guys that separate out enough from the rest of this deep receiver group that a team could conceivably think that they need to go get him early in round one or in the middle of round one. Yeah, because I think that even though we look at this receiver class and we include everybody and rank them, and, but teams aren't going to do that. I mean, we you, you look at you know uh, our top 20 receivers, teams might only have, there might be teams that only have 10 of those guys on there, you know, medicals, character, types of the receiver that they're looking for. I mean, we receiver is a position that you could have these subcategories between outside or inside or possession guys, vertical guy. I mean, just they offer so many different things uh, at the receiver position. And so for a team like the Eagles, you know, I don't, does T Higgins work for them? Maybe, but you know, maybe they're looking for that speed guy. And so T Higgins doesn't necessarily fit, you know, Michael Pittman doesn't necessarily fit, you know, maybe Jalen Rager fits the speed element, but maybe they're looking for more size and length at the, at the position. So I think a guy like Brandon, IU could fit all the criteria they're looking at while, you know, it, it might be an exclusive kind of type of receiver that they're looking for. So I, I think that factors in when, you know, and I, I've heard some from from some Eagles fans who, you know, not a fan of trading up for a receiver when there's so much depth. And I get that. But again, if the Eagles are looking for a specific type of of receiver and they really like what Ayuk offers both now and his upside, I think it makes sense to, you know, give up a fourth and a fifth to make sure you go and get them. And just to sort of complete those trades we talked about, Austin Jackson is the Dolphins pick you have at 21 after they trade back the offensive tackle from USC. You've got the Cowboys going back to 24 uh, and getting Grant Delpit, the safety from LSU. Uh, A couple other new names in the bottom of the mock here. Um, I don't think Patrick Queen was in Mach 1 or Mach 2, if I'm remembering right, but maybe he was. You can correct me if I'm wrong. And then Cesar Ruiz. Uh, from Michigan, you have it 31. Um, anything else jump out at you here at the the bottom of this mock or anything else that you really liked in terms of these fits you've got? I didn't expect as many linebackers to come off the board, but <laughs> when you look at you know Zach Bond going 26 uh, to the Dolphins and then you get down into the you know the Ravens, how much they could really use a linebacker in the, on that defense. Kenneth Murray makes all the sense in the world to go to them. And then the Packers, uh, you know, Blake Martinez is not expected back. They need, you know, we saw the 49ers, what they did on the ground to that defense. They need a guy that can be a three-down player that they can trust in coverage, but can also be physical versus the run. Patrick Queen, um, you know, he is a guy that got, you watch him throughout the year. And when I saw him in October and I watched that tape, that's when I put him in my day two. And I thought, okay, this guy is athletic. There's a lot to work with here. Uh, and then the deeper you go in, you know, the, this latest tape, even against Clemson, against Oklahoma, uh, against Georgia in the SEC title game, he gets even better and better. And so, you know, I think the first round buzz is picking up a little bit on Queen. I still have more of an early second round grade on him. Um, but I, it would not shock me at all if he sneaks into round one. Especially when you look at some of these needs of the teams that are picking in, in the late first, with the, you know a, a team like the Packers, that makes all the sense in the world. Uh, and then Ruiz at thirty-one. Um, you know, I, for me, I, I, I like Cushionberry. Uh, I prefer him just a little bit more than Ruiz. But I know there's a lot of teams that are really infatuated with Ruiz and uh, what he offers from a movement standpoint, athleticism standpoint. 
and what he's going to grow into. And I think when you look at the 49ers and that offensive line, uh, the scheme they like to run, I think Ruiz would be just a perfect fit. And he has experience at guard. And so he has some of the versatility on the interior you're looking for. And that would be a, a, a logical fit for them if that's the direction they wanted to go. And since we started with the Chiefs uh, winning the Super Bowl, just end by mentioning that you have him taking Christian Fulton, the cornerback from LSU, at 32, uh, getting a, maybe a new starter in the secondary there uh, as they head into their uh, Super Bowl defense next year. But the rest of the draft, uh, sort of, we covered a lot of it here, especially the trades, but the rest of it and the analysis from Dane is up at theathletic.com. That's mock draft uh, 3.0. Tons of content. Going up on a regular basis from day in there, we'll also have a ton of people down at the scouting combine in a few weeks. Uh, we'll be down there as well, so make sure you check back the pro- prospects to pros that week. Uh, of course, we'll have a few episodes for you before we get down there, but uh, that should be a fun week down in Indianapolis. And uh, another quick reminder, uh, theathletic.com slash prospects to pros, you can get 40% off a subscription if you haven't signed up yet. Thanks to everyone who has signed up, and especially those of you who have used that link to sign up. We uh, do appreciate you going to do that. Um, when's Mock Draft 4.0, Dane? Oh, God. Um, <laughs> hopefully, at, at least after uh, the the combine. But I, I do want to say that I am, uh, over the next three weeks, um, every other day, I'm coming out with an article doing top 10 by position with um, you know, a, a tidy little summary of what I think about each player. Um, so look for that. That'll be on the site. Um, like I said, I'm hitting every position before the combine. So every other day, there'll be a new article about the top 10 in each position. I'll try to include small 22 clips in there to kind of give a visual uh, representation of kind of what I'm thinking about. And then, um, yeah, we should have the combine list here any day now. Um, it's been interesting kind of hearing from different people behind the scenes about yeah, who's who uh, did not receive an invite because all the invites are out. There's no more invites going out to the combine, um, so those are done. And it's just waiting on the uh, the final list from the NFL, which uh, hopefully we should get here soon. Yeah, and a little different setup with the schedule this year too. All the media stuff early oh, in the morning, the workouts yeah. later. We'll see how all that made plays for out. TV. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so it's, oh god, oh, got to get everyone to get. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> NFL scouts like to grape just by nature, but doing this and messing up a schedule they've had for the last 25, 30 years, uh, that is, just wait till they move the combine to, uh, you know, Frisco, uh, Texas, uh, at the the Cowboys facility, or they move to Vegas or LA, or, I mean, it's, it's going to be a traveling roadshow just like the draft is. It's just a matter of time. Yeah, it may as well prepare everyone now for the media complaints about those 8 a.m. Uh, press conferences, <laughs> too, after the late nights oh, out yeah. in Indianapolis, because I'm sure those are <laughs> those are coming. There are going to be some tired folks walking into those press conferences. but For sure. Uh, for sure. We've got uh, some time to get into all that at the Combine, not for a couple weeks here. And uh, yeah, once that invite list does come out, we can, we'll hit on that, too, just uh, if there's any names that we are... Mostly surprised they didn't get in. We'll, we'll touch on that in a couple in future shows here. So uh, that'll wrap us up here again. Check out Dane's Mock Draft 3.0. As you mentioned, tons of content up from him at, every other day. Hardest working man in the draft business right there, <laughs> Dane Brugler. And the draft guide, early April. Um, you know, I think I'm assuming it's the same setup last year. Uh, you know, we just Dane just put a post up on the Athletic. Had a little, uh, I think it was a password to get access to the guide. Right? Is that how it works? Yep. And so yeah, there's a just be a link, and so yeah. Hopefully that first week in in April. I mean, really, I just 
I work as hard as I can at it until I just run out of time. And so, you know, that first week in April is always the goal. And that, again, that is uh, free included with your subscription to The Athletic. So uh, theathletic.com slash prospects to pros, uh, $2.99 a month. Get in now and you can uh, get Dayton's draft guide in early April, plus all our other content between now and then. So, uh, again, thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, for our producer, Kent Garrison, and for Dane Brugler, I'm Chris Burke. We'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.